An episode of Scooby-Doo on the High Seas. It's time for William Hope Hodgson's The Mystery of the Waterlogged Ship. Hello and welcome. I'm Ryan Whitley. I'm Jessica Berg. And I'm Damian Smith. And together, we're the brand new Whiskey and the Weird (laughs) podcast. Thanks for joining us tonight. In 2018, the British Library began releasing a series of books called Tales of the Weird. Each book collects weird stories of yesteryear from obscure authors according to a theme. Each season, we're going to tackle one book, and each episode, we're going to give you an in-depth, spoilerific discussion of one story. For this first season, we've chosen From the Depths, Strange Tales of the Sea, edited by Mike Ashley. And Jess is our master story planner. So Jess, what are we talking about tonight? The mystery of the waterlogged ship. Uh, It is a fine one. (laughs) (laughs) Who wrote it, Jess, before your commentary? Well, okay. This is a William Hope Hodgson short. Jess is just really excited about getting into this one. So (laughs) yeah. But before we get into it, Jess, uh, following Whiskey and the Weird Protocol, we've got some bar talk to do. So what are you guys drinking tonight? Uh, Well, I'm just uh, polishing off a bottle of the uh, Far North Rye Whiskey. So if my mother is listening to this, um, my mother usually sends me it because it is from Minnesota. So I could use a new bottle other than finishing that. um, Please send help, mom. (laughs) Right. Thanks, mom. I just rewatched Oculus, the 2014 movie. Oh, so good. Um, Yeah. So it's been the Mike Flanagan has been in the news with all of his new, exciting Netflix things. Um, But I don't think anything that he's done has been better than Oculus. Nope. It was the last great Mike Flanagan film project. Yeah. So that's my uh, recommendation this week is if anyone's got time, check out Oculus. Well, tonight, uh, I, speaking of polishing off bottles, uh, last episode, I was drinking little doers on the rocks and I'm going to continue on that theme for this episode because I'm just at the end of the bottle and I'd quite like to, to wrap that one up. Uh, my recommendation for this episode is the Valancourt book of world horror stories, volume one. Turns out that if you go outside of the realm of the United States and the British Empire, other people also write horror stories, and they're quite good. And Valancourt has done a great job in collecting some of the best ones in volume one of their book of world horror stories. Volume two is set to be released in February of 2022, and so you may want to grab a pre-order of that or check out the first volume. Um, I've read several of the stories in it, and they are terrific. You know, sometimes when you read stories from other cultures, um, they're scared or frightened by different things or by the same things, but in different ways than you are. And it just presents a fresh face to it. And it's really, really, really cool. So uh, check that out. Valancourt book of world horror stories. Awesome. That sounds great. Damien, how about you? Expand your horizons. Horizons. So tonight I am drinking a... um, it's a lion's tail cocktail, and I did this with specific purpose to the nature of the story at hand, the mystery of the waterlogged ship. So a lion's tail cocktail blends bourbon, and you need to go bourbon, not rye on this, allspice dram, fresh lime juice, and just a splash of bitters. So what is allspice yes, dram? Yes, that's, that's the, the look. Allspice dram, audience you, can't see the look on my face, but I've got an mm-hmm. eyebrow raised dramatically because I don't know what it that is. is. So allspice is a very specific berry. It's similar to a pepper berry, um, and it 
it incorporates all these different, the reason it's called allspice is that it has elements of cloves, cinnamon, uh, all these like warm, fragrant flavors. Oh, see what they did there. Into one mm-hmm, berry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, what you do is you basically, I, I home make my allspice dram. You basically dump a bunch of it into some very, very, very high, what they call sailor proof uh, rum. And you let it sit for about 10 days, shake it up, crack up a couple of those berries. So you permeate all those flavors. And then you get this nice, highly spiced, really incredibly mixable uh, a, a dram, which is essentially a highly infused, high proof alcohol. And I use rum for that, which of course is mm-hmm. the sailor's rum. And uh, it makes for a simply scrumptious, delightful drink. Again, the lion's tail cocktail blends bourbon, allspice dram, lime juice, and a little bit of uh, bitters. Hmm. As far as what I'm recommending, I'm a huge fan of uh, modern horror writer Stephen Graham Jones. Yes. I think that when I read The Only Good Indians, it, it was probably one of the most pivotal modern horror novels that I've read. And so I continued to go through his entire repertoire of works, including such uh, classics as Zombie Bake Off. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say Zombie Bake Off because it's just it's such a, a great title and it's such a hilarious book. Um, but I read his recent release, My Heart is a Chainsaw. Mm-hmm. It started off as a first person perspective, a typical like outcast loner gal who was a massive fan of slasher flicks, kind of observing something that was occurring in her own town. But it actually took a really incredible supernatural turn that had me going about halfway to two thirds of the way through the book going, I don't don't know if I can really buy into this too. I absolutely love this and it worked for me. So uh, My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones. It was just released this year. Check it out. It is a phenomenal. I loved it too, Damien. And and in fact, when I read it, I started keeping a running list of all the slasher films he name drops in the text. And I had to, I had to quit doing that because I ran out of paper. Yeah, he's incredible. And if if you're a fan of Stephen Graham Jones, what I would have to say is that this is a combination of the only good Indians and the last final girl. Mm, and basically, sure. he took both of those concepts and sort of smashed them into one. Novel. Well, when I when I read the only good Indians. Uh, you know, my thought was the world is about to know who Stephen Graham Jones is and people that have been horror readers yes. for a while that have already known how good he is are excited for the rest of the world to catch up because, and I think, I think that happened. I think that's going to happen yeah. uh, big time for him. So yeah, no doubt. So those are our recommendations and that's what we're drinking in our bar talk tonight. Uh, but let's get into who our author is. William Hope Hodgson, born November 15th, 1877. In the town of Blackmore End, United Kingdom, and if there isn't, uh, if there's a more auspicious sounding uh, town, I don't know what it is. He died on April the nineteenth of nineteen eighteen in Belgium. And if you are at all interested in weird fiction, even at a casual level, you have probably heard William Hope Hodgson's name before. A lot of the other authors that we've read may have been obscure, but Hodgson's name is not. And you've most likely heard of him as the author of the 1908 supernatural cosmic horror novel, The House on the Borderland, which H.P. Lovecraft references in his essay, Supernatural Horror and Literature. Easily Hodgson's most famous work, and perhaps because Lovecraft mentioned it in that essay. But Hodgson wrote tons more, and most of it is really, really good, y'all. He was born the son of the Reverend Samuel Hodgson, an Anglican priest, and Lissy Sarah Brown as the second of 12 children. 
three of those children, what? yeah, 12 children, and things were a little bit different back then. Uh. Um, three of those children sadly died in infancy, and that oh. would- Well, I feel like a jackass, don't I? <laughs> Sorry, Billy Hope Hodgson. Yes, we're condolences. Uh, you know, that theme of infant death is going to work its way into a lot of Hodgson's stories, actually. So, yeah. um, Damien, sure. maybe an apology card is in order to the Hodgson family. Sure. At age 13, he runs away from boarding school to become a sailor, but he's caught and he's returned to his family. His dad wasn't very happy about it, but eventually he's able to persuade his reverend father to let him be apprenticed as a cabin boy. Hodgson kept busy at sea. In addition to his official duties, he learned photography and maintained a strict fitness regimen. And y'all, I looked up a lot of pictures of William Hope Hodgson. Dude was cut. <laughs> <laughs> in 1898, he was awarded the Royal Humane Society Medal for Heroism for saving another sailor, get this, who had fallen from the top mast into the water that was currently infested by sharks in New Zealand. Ooh. Hodgson jumps in and saves him and is awarded. He punched him in the punched face. Him in, I think he punched the sharks in, in the, the face. face. I don't know if they had laser beams or not, but it was still heroic. And he was <laughs> awarded this medal on land. He once appeared on stage with Harry Houdini and he published essays on science, exercise and culture. But fiction was his first love inspired as he was by his literary heroes of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Edgar Allan Poe, Jules Verne and H.G. Wells. While many of his stories feature the sea, and indeed, he is considered the master of the nautical horror story, he also developed the popular character of Thomas Carnacki, the ghost finder and occult detective. In World War I, he was commissioned as a lieutenant in the Royal Artillery, but in 1916, he was thrown from his horse, suffered a broken jaw and a very serious head injury. <laughs> He recovered, though, and he re-enlisted during the Fourth Battle of Ypres in Belgium in the year 1918. He was slain by a direct hit from an artillery shell. Oof. Right. What a way to go. Well, at least it's okay. quick. Yeesh. This story was published in 1911 in the Grand Magazine, which was the very first of the British pulps. It ran from 1905 to 1940 with a monthly publication schedule, which is pretty impressive, even by today's standards. Yeah. None less than Agatha Christie, H.G. Wells, E.F. Benson, and Ruby Ayers graced its pages, too. Well, Hodgson's widow, Bessie Farnworth, kept his memory and his fiction alive, keeping his books in print and posthumously publishing many of his works. After she died, her sister even took up the mantle, and we can be thankful for that, too, because... It was his work which would go on to be a major influence on H.P. Lovecraft, Clark Ashton Smith, Henry S. Whitehead, China Mieville, Gene Wolfe, and Brian Keene. And if you're not familiar with those names, y'all, that's a great mix of both modern and classic horror masters right there. So, Jess, tell us about this story. All right, let's go. A steam yacht named Whiteheart is driving, and Hodgson specifically uses the word driving, so I'm just going to keep using it. So it's driving through the North Atlantic. It's dark. There are no stars. Suddenly, the captain of the ship sees a light and yells for the boat to stop. 
They turn on a searchlight to see if they can spot anything in the water that could have been the source. They're trying to figure it out. No, I think only one other crew member saw the light. When they turn on the searchlight, it hits a ship about a mile away. It looks super broken. It's missing masts and it's sunk really low into the water. So the entire crew spends a few minutes trying to figure out where the light could have come from, from this broken and super abandoned ship. And four of the crew members offer to go and check it out. So they wander around as best as they can, um, but most of the ship is underwater or unreachable. Everything is making really weird sounds and the experience is just uh, written as very creepy. Uh, So they get off the ship, but they decide to tow it with them both for salvage and to keep any other ship from running into it. So they rope the two boats together and they put a small crew on the half sunken ship that they're towing with food and water, um, I guess to try to steer or keep an eye on their end of the tow line or something. I don't really know why people needed to be on that boat in the first place, but -hmm. they leave them there with food and water. So back aboard the White Heart, the captain and crew are still trying to decide what could have caused that light. It's just a really hot topic. So they come to the conclusion that it was probably a sailor's light, which is, of course, a warning light produced by a dead sailor to warn alive sailors that there's danger ahead. So that was a my ghost- first guess. That is legit lore. <laughs> that is legit lore. Okay, sure. So a ghost warned them that they, <laughs> there was a water. Davy Jones log. flashing his torch. Yes, exactly. So while they are towing the ship, a storm causes the ship to move off course, and it's no, they're no longer attached. So they drive back in that direction. But when they get close and yell for the crew that should be on board, there's nothing. Uh, no one's there. And it it has been like hours at this point. I think it's still night. So they search the ship, but the only thing they find is more weird noises. Uh, the captain is concerned and the second mate hears a rumor that they're giving up on salvaging the ship. And the captain kind of confirms it. Like he basically said, it seems like a pretty bad idea to keep putting more people back on this boat where four people just disappeared. Common sense, but... Uh, me wasn't having it (laughs) right yeah so the second mate needs the extra salvage money though so he offers to go himself to babysit the ship that they're towing um the captain and the owner try to say no but he's determined and three other men go because they're basically want part of the salvage money so they hook the tow line back up the four new men hop on board the ship away they go Again, the ship disconnects. Again, they hear weird noises and they go to investigate. Uh, The captain orders everyone to be armed this time. So that's exciting. But they search again. They find nothing again. And uh, this time they take their own advice and think, well, okay, maybe this is a problem that we should solve in the morning when there is some light. Instead of just wandering around. Always in the morning. It's like the best time to solve problems. Let's just wait till tomorrow. You're just wandering around a sunken ship in the dark at this point. But they spend the whole next day examining every inch of the ship, trying to figure out what happened. They don't find anything new. And so they (laughs) decide, let's leave six men behind this time and tow the ship. The captain in the crew back on the ship that works just keep debating back and forth what's going on. Is the ship haunted? Is it a big octopus? 
Uh, they never come to a conclusion because the tow rope disconnects again. This last bigger crew is also gone. And now we're getting into the kind of real Scooby-Doo shit. So a carpenter builds a little shelter on the deck of the ship. So their new plan <laughs> is that a dozen armed Navy men are going to hide in this shelter with all of the lights off. And the other ship will just be like creeping around nearby with their lights off. And the second something weird happens, someone will fire a shot. The other ship will turn on their searchlight and the rest of the crew will board to see what's happening. Lawless plan. It's just like, okay, cool. So hours pass. They're just sitting in their little shed when they finally start to hear more weird noises. So someone fires a shot. The other ship turns on their spotlight and... In the spotlight, they see men coming down the rigging of the sunken ship. So it really freaks everyone out. Um, and everyone from both ships start shooting at these new creepy men who are coming down from the rigging. Uh, five minutes later, all of the mystery men are dead. And someone from the not creepy, like original crew crawls up the rigging. Uh, they see a body hanging out of the top of the mast. And that's how they discovered they're not really masts. They're hollow tubes disguised to look not like where masts. where bodies should be hanging from. <laughs> right. They shouldn't be falling Yet. out of this thing. So obviously they go down the tube into the hold of the ship and they find uh, electricity, including electric fans, which I thought was a really funny thing to include. Um, it's all hot down there. Their... <laughs> I mean. Yeah, you got to catch a breeze, <laughs> Jess. Come you on. just got tubes for ventilation. Um, so their chained up missing crew members are also down there and still alive. And obviously just tons and tons of treasure. So basically the people who are on that ship created a watertight like iron compartment below the waterline. So when the crew searched the ship like 10 times before and saw everything was full of water, they are sitting below the water logged part. Um, and they access that through these tubes that they thought were masts. And so the crew then kind of figures out where the initial light came from. They would, this ship would turn on a distress signal. And then when another ship came to investigate, they would rob them. And then they had the ability to control a little propeller underneath the ship so that they could kind of drift away when they needed to. And that's how our story ends. We figured it all out. They had a they had a little trolling screw down there, I think. Yes, a little yes. screw. A trolling screw. <laughs> Hashtag trolling screw. Well, I, I'm going to switch it up on us tonight. Um, even before we get to whether we enjoyed this story or not, I've got to ask, did either of you have this figured out or any part of this figured out? No. no. And here's why. <laughs> yeah. It's very no. definitive, folks. If anyone says if anyone says yes, I will punch you in the digital face because you're lying. <laughs> the thing about this is that this this story feels so out of place in this collection, in that it is truly a Scooby Doo mystery, which is like a, a a completely rational, logical, plausible ploy done by nefarious persona personas to you know make you think that there's something that's supernatural involved, but there isn't. And for me, the payoff was not very great. I didn't appreciate it. I was like, okay, this is sort of scamming. I don't need some pneumatic tube system like a modern bank <laughs> oh, system I'd love for it if people they were to pneumatic. get from like, <laughs> seriously, like, they like, could take your like, bank deposit. Put your, 
Yeah, put your soldiers into a capsule and then like launch them out of your mizzen mast, right? It's just ridiculous. Excellent deployment so of the nautical that was the case. Mizzen mast, folks. Nice work. <laughs> it, it is the mizzen mast, by the way. Uh, I'm getting good at this. This <laughs> podcast has taught me a lot. You're um, going to buy a boat now? No, but I mean, I, <laughs> I am. I'm just going to buy a boat and sink it immediately because I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just going to buy a mizzen mast. At least I had a podcast as I go beneath the surf. <laughs> uh, it, it just... it. It like the payoff for me. No, I did not see it coming. But does that make it worthwhile? No. Jess, how about you? Did you did you have this figured out at all? No, I just kept getting very annoyed. I read it the first time. She's thinking, folks. We got got to the end (laughs) and it was annoying. The second time I read the story, I was more annoyed. I think the the author was really leaning into the, you know, there's uh, one of the crew members is sensitive and he's the one who brings up that it's the ghost lights in the first mm-hmm. place. And he's the one who thinks that these noises must be supernatural. And then it turns out that like, no, it's just some guys crawling around in tubes. Like surprise. <laughs> I tube dudes. I creepy tube dudes. I didn't have the creepy tube dudes figured out either. Um, but, but for a different reason. And that's because I've read some Hodgson stories before and he does have, a lot of supernatural stuff. I mean, as I mentioned in the in the author, really? interview, like, ah, okay. one of his main recurring characters is Thomas Karnacki, the ghost finder, an occult detective. Right. He he's he's basically a Scooby-Doo detective type person where the ghosts are real and he has to solve solve that issue. Um and and well, I don't know if Karnacki- Ryan, we can't call him <laughs> But we can't call him a Scooby-Doo detective because in the entire history of Scooby-Doo, they've never encountered a real No, that's ghost. what I mean. Like he was I like a Scooby-Doo-like detective, except for the fact okay. that the ghosts okay, were okay. real in, in the Karnacki stories. Okay. And and I don't know if, if I'm going out on a limb here, but I think I want to say that Hodgson may even have invented this whole occult detective character type. There's other ones. There's John Silence. I forget. I think that might be Seabury Quinn's occult detective. But there's there's an occult detective quarterly magazine in publication today. And I think it may have its character origins, at least, in, in some of Hope Hodgson's stories. So I didn't have the story figured out because I was expecting it right. to be ghosts, not expecting it to be irrational explanation well, or and supernatural in this collection especially right everything right we've read every, everything yeah. yeah we've read a lot of ghost stories and supernatural stories all right ghosts are something that was that was somewhat ephemeral but i mean this was not this was like <laughs> no this was purely science yes. this was purely this, scientific yes here. yeah it felt really out of place like give the pirates a fin or some gills well, yeah, I, I'd I be, know. you know, if we uh, if we ever su- uh, succeed in in hosting Mike Ashley on the show, which would be awesome, Mister Ashley, if you're listening, we would love to have you on the show. <laughs> Obviously, um, but I would love to know like why you picked this particular Hodgson story. I know you said in the introduction that there's volumes of Hodgson stories that you could have selected from. Why this particular one? I'd be I'd be curious. Is it because well, you know, as I suspect, it's probably one of his lesser known ones? But Ryan, you've read yeah, good cue. A lot of his other stuff, or enough of his other stuff. How does this compare to that? Like, did you? I mean, like the writing. The, the writing much? compares compares okay. exactly right. It's great writing. At least I think it is. Great writing. I, th- I think it's it's really strong writing. Um, it's different from the other stuff that I've read, and that it's you know the other stuff that I've read is a, has a supernatural explanation. Um, the the one area of Hodgson's work that I'm less familiar with is he was also very well known as a, a writer of romances. 
And so I haven't read as many of those. I've only read one. And again, the writing was very strong, but no, no, it wasn't a, it wasn't a supernatural romance. I'll put it that <laughs> way. Right. Well, you know, in this story, there are a lot of masculine ejaculations from a tube emerging <laughs> from the base of an iron ship. So uh, that, that uh, that's pretty penile. Puerile. Oh, yeah. That's what I meant. Puerile. <laughs> Jess is rolling. Not phallic. Jess, Jess not is rolling her eyes. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I asked my mom. Folks, we're moving on here. Ask right. my mother to listen to this one. Right. That's out of the way now. <laughs> Did you enjoy this story? I am fascinated to hear what you guys think. Did you enjoy this story? No. I thought this one was so repetitive that it wasn't fun. When I was reading it the first time, I don't know if I noticed it quite as much, but going back in to reread to write a summary, it was, okay, we tow the ship, we lose the ship, the guys are gone. We tow the ship, we lose the ship, the guys are gone. Like multiple times of the same thing. Even when everyone is back on the ship, we are discussing where that light could have come from. There's no big development. It's just kind of the same thing until the last couple pages. The last couple pages are fun. Like the images of people like, you know, you see a flash and there's light suddenly and there's people crawling down ropes towards you. That's very good and very scary, but I feel like mm -hmm. it took a long time to get there. Yeah, I'm going to agree. I'm going to say no. I think that this was a flex with regards to writing prowess, but the story itself did not draw me in at all. And once the reveal came out, I was nonplussed. But I am willing to separate the fact that this is solid writing, but a not very good story unto itself. And so therefore, while We Ho Ho has a great reputation amongst modern horror writers that I don't think that this was the one to include in the collection. Wow. I'm going to go join another podcast. Y'all, I yeah. liked it. I An liked it a lot. Later. I liked it a lot. See ya. I, I thought the mystery off. was Bye. great. I thought it was pr a Good. perfect inclusion in the collection because it was so different. It was not you need to go. It was not a monster story. It wasn't another scary seaweed story. And listen, Hodgson's got six or seven Sargasso Sea stories. So I imagine. He could have he could have <laughs> included sure that. Uh, it was so different. I enjoyed it. I'm gonna even go so far as to say I enjoyed it more on the reread when I was started to pick up what he was laying down a little bit better. I thought it was just the right amount of sailorese. I thought the writing was superb, the language was superb. I I really had a great time with this story. I think this was our first story where we got an II captain. Oh, good call. <laughs> that's a fun that's a fun note. Didn't even notice that. Reading this particular book, I'm beginning <laughs> to be under the impression that the oceans <sighs> are just full of these derelicts waiting to destroy your boat. Uh, I don't. How, how do you feel about that? How do you feel how that trope was handled in this story? I feel the same way. It's like when you watch, like I watch a lot of like bad sci-fi movies, and they're always like drifting very close to another, you know, wrecked fifty foot people, and, or they're like in space and they see another spaceship. It's just like I don't think that's going to happen. This is kind of like that. The ocean mm -hmm, is really mm -hmm. big. I don't think you see one little light flicker. And suddenly you turn your whole boat around because what Even else? Even if it's a it sailor's light? No, yeah, I don't no, go seriously, the other that's way. a that's a pretty big gamble. The ocean is huge. You're gonna sit there just 
wait until passing ships happen at like are are, are they uh, mapping out trade routes? I mean, what's going on? There? I also don't understand why they had to be a sunken ship. The ocean is very big. You could just be a regular ship, like regular pirates existed. Well, it had to be it had to be sunken at least partially submerged for the for the reveal to work, right? They they're not going to go into that area of the ship because they know it's waterlogged. Yeah. Yeah, but it was entirely because of the reveal. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like to Jess's point, like why couldn't they just be a regular quote unquote abandoned ship? Like there's a reason other pirates they, were just regular pirates and didn't have a half submarine ship. They just had regular pirates. Seems like they weren't ship. a successful. Yeah, I think they probably Well, were you know, watch successful. Captain Phillips. It's just like I'm a pirate, I'm gonna take your ship, and that's the it. Ocean's like I don't great. have to have a gimmick. Then you just drive <laughs> away. The ocean's really big. Well, I can see that we're getting nowhere with this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for subscribing. Uh, check us out when we get sponsored by Bombas. We're episode, finished. This apparently. is our last episode. We're done. <laughs> All right. So Hodgson several times mentions the Lavinia, a ship that was apparently yes. lost in the text. I happened to look yeah. that up and discovered that the HMS Lavinia was indeed a real ship, but was much, much earlier from where our story takes okay. place. Um, it saw action during the Napoleonic Wars, in fact. Oh, yeah. That's she was way quite a, a storage ship surviving from 1806 to 1870 when she collided with a German steamer called the Cimbria and, and was sunk. So, based on your reading, I'm wondering do you think Hodgson is writing this story? as an explanation for stories like that? Or do you think he's just trying to write a fun mystery here? I think it can be both, right? Like this is a fun mystery, but we're going to tie it to some events that you might be familiar with to give it bigger impact, right? Like the earthquake volcano story. Yeah, the Krakatoa story that we read. I mean, this was sort of, yeah. It's not- R.I.P. It's not the most important part of the story, but it's like if you got the reference, you might be like, oh, yeah, I feel smarter now. I understand what this is about or I'm more drawn into the story. Or well, what's funny about the, about this ship Lavinia as a reference is that it was so much earlier. Right. It's so it's it, that confused me that it was. Why not pick a contemporary example of a ship that was lost and you don't yeah. know where it is? And I think that shows that it was an inspiration, but not a direct derivation so i think this was just a story that maybe he could tie back to the lavinia but at the end of the day it was entirely from the constructs of his own imagination i I mean if anybody out there knows why he may have picked the lavinia here i at least would be curious to know you can you can tweet uh, at us you can direct that tweet to me because nobody else here cares about the rest of the factoids of this story yeah, that's fine definitely send it to ryan just at whiskey weird pod on twitter just say hey ryan because no one else cares i know that's most of your characters but still it's well it's spent. well spent so let's talk about the writing because i think that may be something that we can all agree on i thought it sure. was just great with one exception i loved how there was action on the first page, almost from the word go. You don't get more than three or four sentences into this story before something big is happening, an exclamation point has been dropped, and you are off and running. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I I am dying to know what the two of you thought about the writing and about the action. God, I thought the opposite. I thought it was so repetitive. (laughs) I just, like, I couldn't, read about the stupid toe line getting loose 
four more times. Like Jess, there was a obviously lot of- not a sailor. No, we. <laughs> I think we are to that point that I am on a on land for good. Like there was action, but I feel like it was absolutely the same action over and over. I'm I'm with you, Jess. <laughs> uh, team Jess. <laughs> it's like it's like an accountant where like someone ran into me with a last minute, you know, like earning statement. And I'm like, who gives a crap at the end of the day? Like, this is not exciting. This may seem exciting in context, but to me reading, I'm not excited about it. So the whole like blow ye horns or whatever, and yelling about the horns to the strong side and drawing the lines and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, I can see how that comes across as action writing because it is, but and the same accord, it's like trying to Michael Bay a chess tournament. It just doesn't necessarily translate yeah. to me as a reason. Thought- like Master and Commander at all? No. At all? Oh. I should have picked a different book. Well, I don't like Russell Crowe. Oh, yeah, I think oh be my whatever. God. <laughs> oh, I am out. I'm signing off at this moment. I'm leaving. That's Goodbye. Strange. Okay, cool. Now, uh, we're down to two yeah. hosts. So if we're anyone is interested in going into uh, Whiskey and the Weird. Um, oh man, I, can I tell you what this, the, the writing of this story, I, I'm so intrigued by the fact that you guys didn't like it because I love the writing so much. Oh, whoa, 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 yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. You could still whoa. like it and just not think it's that exciting. Like I thought the writing was, okay, yes. but I, I'm intrigued the by the writing fact that you guys didn't was, like the, the writing story. was, here's, here it is. Yeah. Here's the P word. The writing was proficient. The writing was adept, but that doesn't mean that it makes for a great story. I disagree. And 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 let me tell you to the to the lengths that I have gone to disagree with this. I enjoyed the writing and the story so much that I started going out on eBay and trying to find the the collector's editions of all of his collected works. There's five volumes. I've got volumes one, two, and five, which is mildly <laughs> annoying that the, the other ones aren't available. So mm-hmm. if you'd be willing to sell volumes three and four to Ryan Whitley for a reasonable price, him please up let on me Twitter. know. <laughs> That's so funny. Get your get your solicitation off of our podcast. <laughs> this is yeah. purely edu- edutainment. I'm looking for volumes three and four, folks. Three <laughs> and four to complete my collection. No, I, I really did. I went out and I, I read the story. I was like, I've read Karnacki. I've read House on the Borderland. I've read some of his other ghost stories. I read this story. I was like, this guy's breadth of ability is so great. Like, I want to read everything that he's written. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you think that knowing that you've read some of William Hodgson's other works, do you think that that influenced your opinion on the story? Because right. standalone, this was the first of mm-hmm. his works that I read, and I thought it was I was not. Yeah, I, I didn't. I'm, I'm going to say that that's absolutely probably happening. Okay. You know, I, okay. I, I, I I'll agree with that. That if this were the first story that I read. I still think I would be impressed, but I don't think I would be as over the moon about it um, without having known his sort of stature in the weird fiction community and and without having read some of his other stories. That may be true, but I, I, I do still think that I would have been impressed with the story, um, particularly the, the inventiveness of it, like creating this this ship that people dwell in underneath the waves and this walled off. I mean, that that takes a lot of creativity to come up with that. And to put fans down there for some reason. That that <laughs> and pneumatic and tubes that launch the <laughs> soldiers out of the top <laughs> like a- an ejaculatory phallus that I can't talk about, I guess. So nope. um I, I don't know if this this is gonna go over as well as I might have hoped it would at one point, but uh any favorite <laughs> lines from this story? 
Oh, I got All a right, few. Let's have them. There's some Damien, good, you there's first. Some good nuggets here. Uh, page 153. No, sir, <laughs> said the captain. You don't get octopuses in these yep, seas. I like that the one. devil mints something in that packet herself. She's a wrong yep. I had that highlighted and, uh, too. Just to elaborate, to just to elaborate, the captain is referring to the uh, the the subject vessel that they explore and calling it a wrong in. Essentially, later when questioned, what does a wrong in mean? It's like it's not haunted. It's not something that's supernatural. There's just something that's amiss. And also the fact that he refers to octopi as octopuses. Which I guess is very divisive. So hit us up <laughs> at Whiskey Weird Pod on Twitter. Tell us, do you call plural octopus octopuses or octopi? Tell us now. Uh, but just that statement in itself was like significant of all the writing in the book. It both meshed a lot of sailories with kooky verbiage. Justin, did you have a did you have a line that you particularly enjoyed? I had a couple sections that I the liked. The end. That's what Jess liked. The end. No, I didn't even like the end because then it was just like, oh. <laughs> oh the end was terrible. That's my one That's my one thing that I didn't oh, like. Oh, there was a propeller. Like, oh, okay. I liked these sections where they're huddled in their weird little hut that they built and everyone is like holding their breath because mm-hmm. they start to hear noises. I thought that was good and tense. In yeah, a way very intense writing. Most of the other part of it wasn't. Like those couple pages of action – but even that, it's over, and like they just say, "Oh, five minutes later, everyone's dead." Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I really liked a quote um, just from one page prior to where Damien was reading from. Listen, you, you, lots of writers in this collection were were sailors at one point. They had sea experience. Sure. Um, not all of them can translate that experience into beautiful prose like Hodgson can. And, and this, was, this was just some of it that set the atmosphere and the tone so well. He writes on page 152, Yet nowhere, though not a cabin was left unexplored, did they find anything remarkable. Only everywhere the dismalness of the water, the smell of dampness and brine, and all the while under the feet the great bulk of water in the holds rolling to and fro and the dull grinding and pounding of the waterlogged timbers. I mean, if you read that and you are not there in that moment, (laughs) you're dead to me. Uh, Okay. So you're dead to me. Objectively. He's saying you're dead to me. Good. Hey, Jess, are you dead to Ryan? Yeah, we're get, Please uh, share with everyone. We're half dead. We're on our way. <laughs> we're on life so, support. Zomb- Zombified. Yeah. So, like, objectively, good, cool. I feel like I'm there. But then I also feel like I read that same sentiment three other times when they're searching the ship over and over and over again. Yes. That was, yes. There is so much repetition. I agree with you, Like Jess. I. If you've been on the sea, it's repetitious. Right. I think that's definitely part of it. It's like, this is not that exciting, but if it's the thing that's going on and you've been at sea for months and months, it probably is super exciting. Uh, Yeah. And it's also the onus of the writer to be able to make it exciting. And if you're going to (laughs) repeat the same terms and repeat the same, like, no, no. So this, so this bit about you guys feeling it was repetitious again, is fascinating to me because I was in love with the pacing of this story, I thought it was particularly masterful, stringing us along, dangling treats only to yank them back. For me, that made it very suspenseful. Obviously, you disagree, but I, I, I thought it was very suspenseful. <laughs> One part that I really, really liked was, I don't know, between the second and third group of dudes disappearing, 
is everyone is back <laughs> on the original ship that works. And it he says, like, everyone is sad, basically sad that their buds died and disappeared. And so they're, like, telling each other, like, creepy ghost stories. And I thought mm-hmm. that was, like, we hadn't seen that yet. Every story has had sailors disappear or die or something terrible happen. But you don't get to see, like, oh, you've been at sea for a long time with these same people, and now they're not there. And it was the first time where I think people had been, like, written about as being sad or having emotions right. other yeah. than yeah. terror or, you know, stoicism. Yeah. Like just, All right. So this, this makes me ask the question, like, yes, there was a repetition to the action of the story, but if you were the captain of the ship, what would you have done? I would have just left the stupid ship <laughs> and all that yeah, salvage man, I'm losing, money. I'm, I'm, I'm losing sideboat after sideboat of my crew. At some point, you just got to cut bait. Yeah, but not after the, after the first one. Would you have sent a second crew? No. Well, I mean, the, the fact that the <laughs> was it the bosun or no. whatever is just like the first mate was just like yeah, or the second mate was just like yeah, send me, send me. I want to go on my he own. Wanted he wanted the money. Cash. It's yeah. like cool. Go. And then, and then somehow we got six extra people to go. He's with He's the guy like, that signs back right, up for Squid Game second round. He's yeah, there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Last Modern last question. Reference. Last question. Then we'll, we're going to move on. Last question here. Then, um, and I think I know the answer to it already, but that's okay. I'm still going to ask it. <laughs> Either of you going to read more William Hope Hodgson? Is there more William Hope Hodgson in your future? I have a feeling that we may encounter him in some of our other anthologies as we Fair. keep going. Yeah. Could be um, entirely yeah. possible. So I will not uh, skip over those, but I don't think that I would go and seek him out in the same way as like uh, our good friend. Uh, what's his name? Mirror. Word drop. Open <laughs> shop. Mirror. Word Wordson McMuffin. Yeah, yeah. Married to the old sheep shanks. I like <laughs> sheep shanks. Is writing enough that I would probably seek out more stories. This, well, if I come tough to- luck because he didn't write anything yeah. else. It seems like. <laughs> but this, if I read them, I will read them. I'm probably not going to search out volumes three and four of his collected editions and out. Good because I need those. Anything. I need okay. those. Don't don't buy them. I mean, <laughs> the fact the fact the fact that uh, William Hobotson is so ubiquitous with modern horror and an influence to modern horror, I would absolutely seek out some more of his stories. But that doesn't change the fact that I wasn't crazy about no, this that's, one. No, that's I mean, fair. I'm not, I, and I would say. I'm, I'm not like a one and done type reader where it's just like you you chase me away. There's lots of literature out there. And I know that not everyone hits a 10 on every piece that they put out. So on that note, I did like his writing style. I did appreciate the sentiment he was conveying. And I did really buy into the rhythm and the tone and the diction that he used, but I just didn't like this story. No, so fair with enough. that, I would read other I, things. I would say that if, if you were going to seek something else out, and if you're up for something a little bit longer, fans of horror, fans of cosmic horror, absolutely have to read The House in the Borderland. Okay. Um, if you want something a little Sounds bit good. shorter, definitely try some of his Karnacki Ghost Finder stories. Those are, those are pretty fun. All right. Did the scare hold up for you? No, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to agree on this with both of you. This, this wasn't a particularly scary story. There's nothing scary about it. Yeah, it wasn't scary. The suspense held up for me, but it wasn't, Whatever. it wasn't a scary story. <laughs> right. The suspense. Yeah. Ryan gets, Ryan has, feels suspense when he's waiting for his subway sandwich to be constructed. Oh. Okay. He's like, are they going to put on enough green peppers? Do, do, do. It's so nerve wracking. Right. I never get enough spinach. <laughs> 
Like you say extra spinach <laughs> and you do not get enough spinach. All right. I, I'm, I'm almost said- afraid to go to this next <laughs> section, but what are you going to give this for a whiskey rating? One. Oh, one there's the Ooh. first one. Dagger in oh, my heart. that is tough. One. Jess, explain. Yeah, it, in my heart. Yeah. I, I think if I had read it once, it might have been like a two. But just rereading it, like I felt not bored, just kind of annoyed and was waiting to get to the end in a way that I hadn't felt with most of these stories where the action was good. This one, the action was good, but for two of the, I don't know, 20 pages. And then the ending was also just like, just ends. Yeah. The ending was not great. Not my favorite story in the collection. Damien. my least favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for picking it, Jess. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm going to give it a two uh, for proficiency of writing. That's mostly the two fingers for the surprising ending, which I didn't necessarily like, but I didn't predict from the beginning. I'll give it a little bonus half finger, which is a hashtag hashtag bonus half finger uh, at whiskey weird pod. But at the end of the day, like I just didn't like the story. So I'm going to give it two, which is, you know, four out of 10, which is appropriate. All right, somewhat unsurprisingly, I'm coming in on the other end of the spectrum with four and a half fingers of whiskey. Whoa. You are disgusting. I know. I, but listen, I loved this story. I loved it even more on the second go round. Who are you? Uh, the, the writing is top notch. The suspense for me was great. And honestly, I got I, I got to tell you, I wanted to give this a full fist of whiskey, but the half assed ending yes. really let me down. And so I'm not going to half finger off for that. Uh, I, I just really <laughs> felt like the ending was like. <sighs> was like did he leave his writing desk and go somewhere right. and forget about this like what happened possibly it just stops did he run it just did he run into a word count issue with a publication i don't know but it just it i'll tell you what happened he looked back and he was like this story uh, no he did, he, did i'm just gonna wrap it up that. and move on no, to the next no. one at, at least some at least some bro named ryan whitley will appreciate you know it what i think road. i think he had to go do another set of pull-ups or something and then he forgot that he'd written the story. Dude, he just didn't cut. Come back. Please, please Google his images because he is ripped apart of this. Incredible. Well, uh, if you have good taste, friends, and you liked this story, oh. uh, then I have another recommendation for you, and that's The Scar by China Mieville. Now, China Mieville is a modern writer, but he has said that Hodgson has been a big influence on his writing. And he even penned the introduction to a recent publication of The House on the Borderlands. In The Scar, you've got a rollicking seafaring adventure, you've got piratical hijinks, and you have a city constructed in the hull of ships, which seems ripped straight out of Hodgson's pages. Plus, you have all of Mieville's trademarked grotesque bodily oddities. So if you (laughs) liked this story... Uh, definitely check out The Scar by China Nieville. So that's going to do it for us this time, folks, on Whiskey well, and the Wait a minute. Wait, Hold oh, on. we've got another one. I, you know what? Here comes yeah, the guy that didn't like the recommendation. story with a bonus recommendation. Yeah, if you didn't like this story, then check out 1995's quintessential action sci-fi flick that rings in at almost three hours and was a massive box office flop, Waterworld, <laughs> starring Kevin Costner, Gene Triplehorn, and Tina Majorino. Also with Dennis Hopper as a villain because Dennis Hopper can only play a villain. Hey, if you want to see something about some like kooky piracy on the high seas, you might as well watch Waterworld because it is better time spent than reading this piece of dark. (laughs) I I am somewhat amazed that we've gotten to episode seven before Waterworld was mentioned. (laughs) That's pretty good. That's pretty good for us. 
All right, wrap okay, it up, Okay, that Ryan. really is going to do it for us on this episode, <laughs> folks. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We love recording these episodes for you, and we hope that you love listening, too. And if you do, would you please do us the huge favor of rating or reviewing us on whatever platform you get your your podcasts on and share with a friend. Tell somebody that you know that might enjoy this as well. Uh, Jess, what are we going to read next? Let's read The Floating Forest by uh, Herman Sheffauer. Sounds good to me. We're going to give special thanks to Dr. Blake Brandis for providing our music, as always, on Whiskey and the Weird. And Damien, if people want to reach out to us with their suggestions on what other William Hope Hodgson stories we should read, where can they find us? <laughs> or Passover. Hit us up on the socials at Whiskey Weird Pod on Twitter and at Whiskey and the Weird on Instagram. We spell whiskey with an E and we hope you do too. If you don't, then you belong in a William Hope Hodgson story because you if stay. you don't, you're probably Scottish and correct. I'm Ryan Whitley. I'm Jessica Berg. And I'm Damian Smith. And together we are Whiskey and the Weird. Jess, send us home. As always, keep your friends through the ages and your creeps in the pages. Thanks so much, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.